wanted to start this podcast to share hunting stories of my experiences and what I've done over the years. There's so much more that is involved in hunting than just pulling the trigger and killing an animal. We want to be inspirational, educational, but we also want to have a good time and teach you how to have a good time as well. I have Alicia Marie back for another episode. I just started my guide service. It's called Misguided. A lot of times when we go out, it is the focus of the education and getting you comfortable with your firearm. For me, it's about the experience and the opportunity to learn and grow from it. This year, we're gonna start honing in and focusing on waterfowl with girls, turkey hunts and doe management hunts, small game and coyote hunts. Predator control is really important to me. I'm also a trapper. What would be your favorite to guide? Turkey will win every day of the week for me. There is something about that gobbler in front of you. My, my bird this year, I actually called him in from just over 300 yards. Solo called him in with the diaphragm. Feather moon lights out call. Watched him come out of the roost with another tom. Then a third one we never saw broke the wood line. There's nothing better. Welcome to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Now for your host, Stephen Robbins. All right, guys and gals, welcome back to another episode of Hunting Day. And I have our guest, Felicia Marie, back for another episode. Last week, we had Felicia on, and she told us all about women of the outdoors and the foundation that she is setting to bring the next generation of hunters, whether it be women, children, or men, into the outdoors. And we covered a lot of really good information, uh, so much that I wanted to have her back because I know that she's going to add value to you guys. And I know that you all are going to enjoy this episode as much as I have last episode. So Felicia is the founder of Women of the Wild. She's also a Michigan guide. She guides waterfowl, small game, upland birds, and turkey. And we also want to talk to her about her recent trip to South Africa, because that is something that a lot of people want to do, but have never done it. And so we're going to have her tell us what she did, how she did it, and some do's and don'ts. So, Felicia, thanks for being back. Thanks for having me back. So, we left off on bow fishing, and actually, we left off on pike. And uh, But you're, you're a guide up there in Michigan, and I've spent a lot of time in Michigan with a company that I used to work for. They were out of Kalkaska, and uh, so it's beautiful up there, the Torch Lake, Traverse City area, Gaylord, and... Uh, so I got to know, like, what's it like to guide up there? Because it's probably one of the most beautiful places in the country. Yeah, so I, I just started my guide service. It's called Misguided uh, this year. But I've been taking people out and getting people in the outdoors for quite a few years. And I just decided it's time to put my abilities into play. And, and I don't really guide. I don't guide general public. When I take guide services out, it's women or youth events, um, and I, I do it all at that educational base like we discussed in the last episode. My whole main focus is to be able to provide an education and opportunity. So I'm not, I'm not out there trying to make a buck off this. I have a full-time job, but this is a passion that runs real deep with me is getting new people in the outdoors. So my guide service is a little bit different than a typical guide service, um, and our prices are less because we're not my plan is not, it's not always about a harvest with me. A lot of times when we go out, it is the focus of the education and getting you comfortable with your firearm. A lot of these people were taken out, have never used a rifle or never used a shotgun. Um, so I do a little bit different and I approach it a little bit differently than most guide services where 
you know, it's about numbers and piles. For me, it's about the experience and the opportunity to learn and grow from it. Um, but I will tell you, Michigan is, I've been all over the United States. Michigan is my home and, and I love this place wholeheartedly. It is beautiful. You know, we, we have trips all over the place and I don't always function them as a guide service. A lot are done through women of the wild. Um, but this year we're going to start really honing in and focusing on waterfowl with girls. Um, we're going to start focusing a lot on, we're going to be doing turkey hunts and doe management hunts and small game and coyote hunts. Uh, predator control is really important to me. I'm also a trapper. So, um, but providing that education is what my guide service is more about than laying a bird on the ground or, or laying down a deer. It's more about getting you comfortable and educating the outdoors to go home and do it with your family, your friends. I love it. I love that. Now, what would be your favorite hunt or like animal to guide? Turkey. Turkey. Turkey will win every day of the week for me. Um, I love waterfowl. Don't get me wrong. But there is something about that gobbler in front of you. My, my bird this year, I actually called him in from just over 300 yards. Solo called him in with the diaphragm, feather moon, lights out call. And I brought that bird from all the, watched him come out of the roost. And I had one of my buddies uh, who owns a guide service. He's Waterloo Wings and Water Colt, uh, incredible guide himself. But him and I have been real good friends and we do a lot of hunts together and I told him I had, I'd done a couple of hunts and got other people on their birds and my season was coming to an end. And, uh, I had my kids with me and it was their first time being with me for a turkey harvest. Um, so we were in a blind and, and that bird came out of the roost with another Tom and he probably had, I'd say eight or nine hens with him. And we were able to break him off of them and call not only those two toms in from over 300 yards, but then a third one we never saw broke the wood line from our left. So I ended up with three birds, uh, two at 15 yards and one at about 25 yards. But that wow. like calling those birds in and hearing that that thunder in that throat is just there's nothing better to me. A sunrise with a, a gobbler just letting loose on the limb. I think it's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's one of the, it's probably, I've never elk hunted out in Colorado. We, we, April actually killed an elk in Texas, but that's a different story. They're um, non-native. So you can hunt them like literally year round, but okay. I, I want to do an elk hunt out West where bulls are bugling. I've done the Maryland sick of deer, right? Oh, nice. And that that's like turkey hunting because it's vocal. And no, I wasn't calling. I, I know better than to try and call a sick of deer because I'm not, I eventually, if I worked at it, I know I could do it, but I'm not there yet. And so I just sat and listened. And when that sunrise is coming up and you hear them, it's slightly eerie, <laughs> but they bugle in a sense, but just imagine like a very high pitched bugle. And yeah, like, so I could only imagine what it would be like to elk hunt. And uh, eventually I will know what that's like. But turkey hunting, just because I think it's all the different, you know, you get to see, but you, you get to hear, you know, when you're deer hunting, you might hear a buck grunt or you might hear him snort wheeze at you, but that's so limited at, you know, at the, I, you might have a hundred trips in the field before you hear that. Uh, yeah. I honestly like turkeys. A lot of people don't understand how visual those birds are, mm -hmm. right? Like they're, 
their color vividness is brighter than ours. Yeah. They can see three times better than us. So to be able to outsmart those birds and get past that visual sight of them. Yeah. Um, my turkey two years ago now, I didn't have a blind or anything. And I shot him at 13 yards. Nice. So so that to me is the challenge. And for me, I really love to see how close I can get to something. Yeah. Um, how much I can outsmart. And that's with, I mean, anything, like you said, whitetail, waterfowl, like it doesn't matter. There's something about outsmarting those animals and being able to replicate enough for them to think that you're real to come into you. Um, but yeah, turkeys will win every day of the week for me. And I've, I've harvested quite a few animals in my day, but turkeys will always win that for me. I love it. I absolutely love it. That's, uh, the first couple up, like the first two episodes of the podcast that we did was more of an introduction of me and and my, Mm -hmm. my goals with what I want to do with hunting day. But then the next four episodes were solely dedicated to turkey hunting because it's such a passion and I think you could probably get more people in the outdoors just by taking them turkey hunting because mm-hmm. of the, I, I don't, maybe it's sensory or the receptors that you get goosebumps when you mm-hmm. hear gobblers on the limb, even off the limb. I mean, it is, mm-hmm. it is unreal. I did a turkey hunt in Illinois many years ago and it was unlike any turkey hunt I'd ever done because in Virginia, I was hunting a lot of public land. My dad didn't turkey hunt. So it was a, more or less a lot of learning as I go, but I went with an outfitter cause I was videoing at the time and he asked me to come out to Illinois and video for him. And I said, absolutely. This is a great way for me to learn. And I learned a lot on the trip, but I didn't realize that turkey hunting was as fun as it was because the way I was doing it wasn't fun. <laughs> and so I, that's, hands down, probably one of my favorite animals outside of hunting a free range axis deer in the state of Texas. It's a different style to me, but I agree with you that turkey is, it's one of those sensory hunts that like, it's really great for new hunters, for youth. The other upside to it is typically when you're turkey hunting, you're hunting like open fields. So you Mm -hmm. have much more of a visual on things that you may not, you know, you might see the birds, but you might not hear them or you might hear them and not see them. So I feel like I feel like it's one of those things that there's typically a lot of action to it, even if you're not going home with a bird. And I think that, I mean, there's been turkey hunts where we're out of a field in 20 minutes, but for the most part, it's not like an all day hunt. Like when I do waterfowl, we might be out there for nine hours. Yeah. You're not typically doing that with turkey. You're out, you're in, you're out. And I will tell you one thing I've always wanted to do is reap a turkey and we can't do that here in Michigan. So I will be traveling for that because that's, I might, I don't know, testing a turkey to see if I can get flogged by one is, is my goal in life. <laughs> yeah. So Seth Gower was, uh, I think he was episodes five and six and we talked about reaping and he reaped one with a 410 pistol. I heard that he shot it like 10 inches from his barrel or yeah, something. Yeah, it was like, uh-huh. he said it was so close. He actually thought about grabbing it but then he fought twice. <laughs> so he just shot it. <laughs> that's life goals for me. That's, yes. that's true life goals for me is to reap a bird that like get that challenge of getting that close. Yeah, absolutely. No. Um, have you done any type of, uh, uh, Nebraska or like, um, kind of more West, like with, uh, Mary. Yeah. 
Uh, I have not. That is on the list. I did go in May for Rio's. Okay. Um, and I had my bow drawn back at one at like 10 feet. Oh, and man. he was just on awesome. the other side of a, oh, it was, it actually, that whole experience was really neat because we went down there with a uh, women's group that I'm not associated with, but it, it, I went and we did Ibex and turkeys and everything. And I was actually at the bar with two other girls, like after we were done with the hunt and we didn't get a turkey while we were down there. And we were at the bar and the owner of the, the bar restaurant, we were talking to him and I was telling him that I was from Michigan, that I drove 24 hours for these Rios. And I said, man, I, I just want to like see one up close. And he's like, one minute, he flips his chair around, he sits down with a napkin and he draws his whole property out. He goes, I know this is awkward, but if you're willing to meet me at my gate at 530 in the morning, I'll put you on Rios tomorrow. And I looked at the other girls and I was like, are you in? And they were all like, hell yeah. And I was like, guess we're meeting this stranger in the middle of the dark in the middle of Texas to go shoot some birds, which I would never recommend doing that. You know, your crowd, we built a relationship with this gentleman and, and honestly, it, it was just a hell of an experience. So these two girls who hadn't shot turkeys before were with me and we kind of like played the scenario out in our head of, you know, who gets to shoot if a bird presents itself. And that bird, it was right on the other side of a bush. And I didn't realize how big Rio's are. Cause I've only done Easterns. Right. Yeah. So this bird comes in, who's like as tall as I got bloodhounds. He's as tall as my male bloodhound. And I'm, I'm just in awe with how tall this bird is. And he comes out and I see him through a little break in this shrub and I draw my bow back. And I was at the point where I was like, well, I mean, I've, I've gone this at like 10, 15 yards, but we're talking like feet at this point if he'd have stepped from that bush he'd have maybe been at seven feet from me wow so i'm like paranoid i'm gonna miss so i draw my bow back and i'm holding it it i mean it feels like an eternity but in all reality it was probably like a minute and um he just never stepped that bush ah. and he took off we never heard him again and that was the day we were leaving so we ended up packing up and going home but uh just the experience listening to him gobble um the girls were just excited because they were like, you're the turkey hunter. Like, we just want to hear you call. And that's because that's to me calling a bird is where it's at for me. I just love I love that back and forth with those birds. And uh, they were really excited. But we ended up being right at the roost and I never even had to pull my calls out. But I mean, he was a hot bird that day and he was he was coming in quick and. I couldn't even put the decoy. I had the decoys. I couldn't even put them out. He was coming in so quick. That's awesome. That is so awesome. Especially to catch a bird off the roost, to hear them fly down. Like mm -hmm. all those different noises that you hear in the outdoors that people that are just, they're, they're, they're constantly going and they don't stop and listen and they don't stop and just appreciate. And then that's what, that's what we get to do as outdoorsmen and women is we yeah. get, to, we get to see all that at, with, I want to say unfiltered eyes basically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I don't think some people will ever get that and that's okay. They don't have to, but for those of us that do, we like, we know that God is awesome because of all the things that he, he puts on this earth for us. And, mm -hmm. uh, Man, uh, that's a different topic for a different time. <laughs> but um, 
So you actually went to Texas. I talk about Texas all the time on here. <laughs> and how, I don't want to say it's strange, but what a coincidence that you literally went with Austin Pressey with Wicked 7 Outdoors. And Austin, at the time that we're recording this, his episode with us drops. And so that's 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 awesome because that's how small of the world that this industry is and like-minded people doing like-minded things mm-hmm. and we all come together we support each other in our endeavors and like talking to austin yesterday i i didn't mention anything that you were going to be on here and then you're like oh i went to rock springs with austin Presley with wicked seven and i'm like holy crap yeah <laughs> so, he, it is it's really funny where you run into people and austin he got me on my ibex and we worked hard for that in texas that was in may um and i'll tell you he he was very in tune we had a women's group he was very in tune with explaining to these girls and like that educational aspect. I know that women of the wild, we're going to team up with him. I talked to Austin quite a bit. He's a really great guy. Put you on some free range audads now. And that to me is one of my top of the list hunts with him, but we're talking, um, we're talking Rio's audads, exotics. Um, he's, he's got a call. He's been really great. Yeah. He's a good dude. Really good dude. So I want to talk to you about South Africa. Because I've never been to South Africa hunting. Oh, I've never been to South Africa in general. And so what was this hunt? If this was a, a teamed up hunt or was this, I think I, I saw where it was a giveaway or some, some sort of deal with girls with guns, right? Yeah. So uh, 2021, there was a fundraiser. It was a giveaway to raise funding for Raise Them Outdoors, which is an organization to get more kids in the outdoors. Um, they did this giveaway. I think it was like $25 to buy into the giveaway. And then you like shared, you know, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all this other stuff. Um, but it was put on with girls with guns, Ruger vortex optics, and all of that money went to get more youth in the outdoors. And I didn't even, I'm like the unluckiest person you'll ever meet in your life. Right? Like when I get a harvest, you know, that I grinded my ass off to get it. Like I am just, (laughs) luck is not my side. Right. So I, I did this and I did it because I wanted the funding to go to raise them outdoors. It's a fantastic group. I have been wearing GWG clothing for about 12 years now. I've actually been wearing their stuff before they even had a camo line. Um, the girls over there are great. They have a great mission and I just wanted to support it. But also whenever you see these giveaways, you don't ever know the people that win them. And I was like, well, I have the perfect platform to put a girl, put this in front of a girl for her to win this. And that to me would be like absolutely epic. Right. Yeah. So I share the hell out of it. And, uh, a bunch of girls signed up for like did the giveaway and everything. So it was really great. But then I get a phone call one day from Jen O'Hare from GWG and she's like, pack your bags. You're going to Africa. And I was like, all right, if this is a joke, it's not funny. Yeah. And she's like, no, you won the giveaway. And I was like, are you kidding me? So I won a 6.5 Creedmoor Ruger. I won the entire Artemis 2 line from GWG. um, A Vortex Crossfire 2 scope for that uh, that 6.5 Creedmoor. 
and then this hunt for two. And at first, I'm I'm a very substance hunter. Um, another topic of like the trophy versus meat hunter, but I I kind of fall in that category where it's mostly about the meat to me. Yeah. Um, so Africa was never even a thought in my head because I knew I couldn't bring the meat home. Um, and I never really researched it enough to what I know now and knowing what happens with that food, with, you know, the money back in their economy. Once I wanted, I started digging into that, but I was going to just donate it back for them to do another giveaway and raise more funds with. And in the process of talking with my mother, she tells me, mind you, my dad is like my best friend, right? Like, Every harvest, he's the first person I call. He hunts with me, but he hasn't harvested anything. And and he lived in Alaska, so he's done his, his fair share of harvesting. But my dad, when he had his three girls, he gave up everything. And he loved the outdoors more than anything. And he put it all aside to raise his three girls, which isn't something you hear of. But he's like, I just couldn't see spending money on hunting and tags and being away from my kids. So he put it all down thinking he's going to have these three girls. And, and I'll tell you, my, me and my sisters, we are night and day difference. Um, they, they're not hunters, not avid fishers, nothing. So he had me calling the son that he never had. Um, <laughs> we built a really close relationship. Like I've been fishing with him since I could hold a pole. I got him about seven years ago back into the outdoors and he's been going hunting with me. And, uh, my dad's the type of person that it's about you. It's never about him. Yeah. And uh, I, I would say we're really close, but I learned that day talking to my mom that South Africa is something that has been on my dad's bucket list his entire life. Uh, oh, growing wow. up in the, yeah, growing up in the sixties, you had to have big bucks to go to Africa. So it was always something that he, as a kid was like really intrigued by. Yeah. And I didn't know this. So my mom's like, why don't you ask your dad? And I'm like, he won't go. And she's like, ask him. So I did. I hung the phone up with her. I called my dad and I explained to him that I won this hunt. At this point, I'm in tears. Um, and I tell him, I said, would you go? And he's like, absolutely. When do I need to pack my bags? And I was like, are you serious right now? Because if you're serious, we'll book plane tickets. And he's like, I'm in. And uh, we bought our plane tickets and and set out for an adventure together. And he was more about experiencing the atmosphere and the culture. And I had to have a little bit of a tiff with him to even get him to shoot something. He was telling me that he didn't want to harvest anything. He's like, hunting is your thing. I want, I would just want to be there when you harvest everything. And I was like, you're shooting something. <laughs> and, uh, it worked out great. I mean, it was, the most phenomenal experience I've ever had in my life. That was with Rhino Land Safaris in Limpopo, South Africa. Michael was our guide. And I will tell you, he is very informative. Uh, first thing I did when I got there is I explained to them, like, I am an educational person. I want to absorb this. So we, we talked about a lot of people don't know this, those African animals, their vitals are in their shoulder. Yep. So here in the United States, we're taught to punch behind the shoulder. Well, those African animals, you need to punch them in the shoulder. Yeah. So we went over all that and explained like how their vitals are. We talked about tracking. So they were teaching us like, I mean, I'm not sure what other people want to learn, but I was very honest when I got there, like, I want to know everything. So yeah. if there's a why to it, I want a reason. And they were, you know, explaining to me tracking these animals and, 
and we talked about like the most appreciative thing that I have from over there really though is how well they manage those populations. People think you're going over there and you're just killing things and and like my zebra for for example, I've got a lot of hate mail over killing a zebra, right? Really? They are not what everybody thinks they are. American zoos have ruined this. Yeah. For for our society have ruined our thoughts and processes on a giraffe, a zebra, even elephants. Like, yes, they're beautiful creatures. And any hunter has remorse when they take a life. If you don't, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. But a zebra to them is just a wild game. It's no different than a whitetail is to us. And yeah. people need to understand that. They also need to understand the culture, right? So the culture in Africa, they're a third world country. You don't just run to a grocery store. So this meat that you're harvesting is feeding hundreds of people in a village Yeah. that otherwise wouldn't have that. So when I learned that, when I got there, and I'll tell you, reading it and experiencing it, it blew my mind. Yeah. And it ended up being an opportunity of, of a lifetime for me and my dad to experience together. Um, he ended up picking a, out a sable and adding a sable onto our hunt. Um, and that was his very first harvest in 40 years was that sable. And I got to be by my dad's side for that. Oh, and that man. was a life-changing experience. Uh, I broke down in tears. I was so like, I was super excited, but then like throughout the trip, the last, the day before last. So on our fifth, we were there six days, our fifth day, we were actually doing an interview up on pride rock. And I, I had like a full on breakdown when I realized what we had just done, like where we are that I got to do this with my dad. Like I was to the point where I couldn't even talk anymore. I feel myself choking up thinking about it right now. I got to experience something with him that will forever be a memory for both of us. Yeah. And being able to provide something to my dad who has provided so much for me and supported me like all these women's trips, he is right there supporting us. I mean, I needed help with some of the lines at our fly fishing event and he was right there, drove his side by side up and came and helped me when I needed it. Like he has, he's really a backbone and um, being able to provide that experience back to him was unlike anything I've ever been able to do in my life and super appreciative of girls with guns and Ruger vortex for allowing me to have that opportunity with him. And, uh, I mean, it was just, that's, that's amazing. It was the most incredible thing. Yeah. Well, congratulations to him on, on, a, I mean, a sable of all animals is probably mm -hmm. one of the most beautiful antelopes out there. And mm -hmm. they're, they're big. They're the, the, the horn like everything about them right they're they're a beautiful animal but to be your first animal harvest in over 40 years and that you got to be there and you were you know ultimately you were the reason for that so that's really cool that you were able to give back to your dad for all that he's done for you so congratulations to both of y'all on that thank you yeah he uh so my my bucket list when we were over there was the kudu right and uh every day we were there we were chasing that kudu but uh, on day six, we were like hours away from heading to the airport. And he started kind of kicking himself for spending time on that sable. Because that sable was, I mean, we were three hours and 45 minutes on foot chasing that sable, right? Yeah. He started getting real upset 
that I hadn't gotten my kudu yet. And we wasted four hours on his sable. And I'm like, no, like I was more happy for him for that harvest than any of mine. And, you know, we both at this point I had had, I got an Impala on the first day. He had gotten a sable on the second day. And then the third day I had gotten a zebra. He had gotten an Impala and then I got a beautiful Nala bull. And the fifth day we just, we chased either a kudu or a Gemsbach the whole day. And it just wasn't lining up for us. So on day six, he's really starting to like backpedal and kick himself for what he felt was taking away from my hunt. But in all reality, it made my hunt everything to me. And um, our guide was explaining to us, our, our, they call him PH as a professional hunter over there. But Michael was explaining to us how animals have a 15 minute window in their day where they're going to mess up. And we just need to find that 15 minute window before you leave. And within probably 20 minutes of him saying that our tracker stops, stops us. And he found fresh kudu tracks. So we start pursuing these two males in this, like the thickest of thick that we could find where these kudu were hanging out and they run across and they run up this mountainside and they were in such thick, it ended up being three male kudus. And, um, it ended up being such a thick area that I, I wasn't comfortable to take a shot and we thought our hunt was done. So we jumped back in the truck and we went to go circle around the backside of the mountain and two very, very mature bulls ran out and I got a shot off on the second one who ended up being, I don't know, nine, 10 years old, um, 53 inch curls with four, four inch seats to him. Um, just a monster. Yeah. And that was my dad's like, I don't, I, for me, I didn't care that I was leaving without a kudu. I had came to peace with that, that I was yeah. so excited that he had got a sable, but he was so upset that I didn't get my kudu because he knew how bad I wanted it. And I just explained to him, like, it's not a big deal. I can always come back. Um, that's not the, the point to any of this for me, yeah. the experience and doing this with you, but so I'm really glad it happened because I feel like if it hadn't, he might've felt kind of awful about his and I wouldn't want to take away from his harvest because I didn't get one. So I told him, I said, well, if we do this again, I'm not set in a list or maybe I will mentally and just not tell you because I don't want to ruin your hunt just because something didn't work out for me. That's how hunting is. Right. And, uh, but yeah, it ended up being incredible and just the management over there, like you're, like I think I was saying earlier, you're not over there just shooting animals. There is a reason for every animal you harvest, whether it's age, um, you know, some of these, it's a temperament thing. A lot of people don't realize when people go hunt lions, you're not just over there shooting fish in a barrel and just picking a lion and shooting it. It It's managed hunts. Yeah. Um, my zebra, she was 10, 11 years old. Uh, her hooves were starting to break apart and fall off. Um, and she was just a massive old zebra. Her fur was turning to leather. She was actually mixed with a brushel and a mountain zebra. So absolutely stunning. Um, but people don't realize that it's a lot better way to put these animals down than for them to get attacked by leopards or hyenas and die basically, basically be eaten alive or die of disease or starvation. And it's Africa's its own beast. And I think a lot more people should really take 
bite that bullet and try it and experience it. The culture, the food, everything. Just absorb it. I love that. I love it. Africa is definitely on my list, but it's one of those things where I've always heard that everything in Africa wants to eat you, even the bugs. So you you tell me. <laughs> well, a really big misconception is, so our summer is their winter, right? So when you're going in like June, July, it's actually cold. Like we had winter coats on. Um, it gets warm during the day, but it's not hot. It's not like a humid heat. It's real dry. So if you're in the shade, 90s feels like 70s. Um, we didn't really experience bugs because their hunting season is typically from like March to I'd say August, September is their yeah. main hunting season. They kind of shut everything down in their summer, which is our winter okay. because it's too damn hot. Right. Yeah. Um, but the time of the year that we were there is when the snakes are starting to come back out and you got like your black mambas and the mosquitoes did start coming back out. But for the most part, we didn't see mosquitoes till like our last day. Okay. Um, but when you're trying, <laughs> I will say it's intimidating when you're trekking a, a kudu for four hours down a riverbank and you're constantly looking like you're looking out for leopards. You're looking out for black mambas. The next scorpion or spider, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. us here, I see these girls down in Louisiana, like, noodling these catfish, which is a bucket list. But I have a whole respect for those girls and dealing with pythons. And and then I went there and did that. And I really wasn't as afraid of those things as I thought I would be. Um, really fun. I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but same topic. Our cameraman and I, after I had shot my... I don't think I had shot the Impala yet. We were trekking up an Impala, a herd of Impala. And uh, they had like eluded us, right? Yeah. So our PH and my dad start walking back to the truck. And the, the cameraman and myself are still walking through the thickets. And all of a sudden you heard something running behind us. You heard this like heavy breathing. I turn around and his like color is washed out of him we thought there was a leopard chasing us. And I said, we realized it ended up being one of the trekking dogs had broke out of the truck and came and chased us down. Okay. But I, and I said, what, did, what, like, what would we have done? And he's like, I don't know. And I said, you need to go back and change your doors. He goes, I think I need to just throw them away. I thought <laughs> that is so awesome. Uh, but I had, It's funny because I had no fear at all. Like, and I don't know if maybe it maybe it was me being naive of what could happen or like, oh, that'll never happen. But the reality of it is, is like the leopards are in the trees. They could jump out at you in a, at any moment. Um, the black mambas, like we heard stories of the black mambas killing the trekking dogs and stuff like that or, or animals there. Yeah. Uh, we found a three-day-old baby zebra that had been eaten probably by leopards. Um, so it, it's it's the reality of it all like, like it's there but uh i don't know i just i didn't let it intimidate me and yeah. fortunately we never had an experience where we had to worry about it either but it was pretty neat yeah that's awesome so you you've you've traveled a lot you've traveled the united states you've traveled to africa now and one question that i ask everybody is if you could hunt anywhere in the world where would you go and what would you hunt? New Zealand red stag. You're like the fourth, maybe fifth person that said that. And that would 
that's hands down my bucket list trip. Red Stag in New Zealand would be top of my list. And I actually have one tattooed on my thigh because I have such a, like, I don't know. I just have such an appreciation for him. It was like, you know, sturgeon were at the top of my list to catch because you just have that appreciation for this 200 million year old fish. Yeah. Um, they just, they're an animal that really gets me. Absolutely. So New Zealand red stag. And while you're there, you obviously got to go after maybe a, a really nice fallow deer, maybe a really nice sick deer. And, uh, so Tim Wells is a real good friend of mine and he goes over there and he throws spears and shoots blowguns. He's and my idol. So, that man is my idol. So, well, they, you ever heard the saying, never meet your heroes. I'm only joking. Tim is one of the coolest guys in the outdoor industry. I've met a lot of people over the years and by far hands down like he's the most down-to-earth humble guy you'll meet he jokes around a lot and he has a really good time but he goes to the bay with us we'll shoot stingrays cobia and whatnot and pre pre pre-covid we were working on a trip to go to new zealand with him and then covid hit and we were like kind of threw the world into a tailspin so we're, we're working on getting back to new zealand with him and uh I'm a, I, I'm looking forward to it, and he's just he's a wild man. That would be incredible. Uh, he actually is who inspired me this year. My goal is to shoot one of my geese with my bow, um, and I like I've gotten a lot more primitive, and and he has been single handedly the reason behind that. Watching him and just every every adventure, whether it's a spear, a bow, you know, the blow dart, the blow, you know, oh my gosh, like having that ability to challenge yourself. And like, I, I know I've heard him on other episodes where he's like, you know, put me in a two acre pen. I'll kill it with a rock. Yeah. Like being that self-sufficient to me is just absolutely awesome. Um, but yeah, he's, he's definitely a big inspiration for me for wanting to be more primitive in my style of hunting. And like, don't get me wrong. I love using a shotgun, a rifle, my compound bow, but going out with my recurve, like, a bear with my recurve is top of my list. Yeah. And, um, you know, this year, well, not this year's coming to an end, but next year having the blowgun for bow fishing is something yeah. I really want to do. And just branching out your capabilities of your yeah. normal. Um, so like I started practicing with slingshots for small game. Nice. Um, and for me, I'm a type of person I want to absorb it and like practice the hell out of it before I put it on an animal so I can be as ethical on that kill as I can be. The spear hunting is not something I have ever done, but I will tell you it will happen for me. Like I am dead set on doing that and having that experience. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. And you do that yourself, don't you? I do. I do. Um, I have yet to have a successful harvest, but it is coming. And uh, I made a lot of, I don't want to say a lot. I made mistakes that could have been easily avoided. The preparation is the biggest thing. Like throwing the spear is easy. I don't, well, I don't want to say easy. It takes practice, but throwing the spear comes pretty natural for me. It's all the things that you bundle in to make it successful that I need to work on. And uh, it's coming. It's it's going to happen. And I want it to be, uh, I tried to spear a, a ram and that was, um, that was, it was okay. It was fun. It was one of those things where 
it wasn't going to be super challenging other than throwing the spear. But then I did the scimitar oryx down in Fredericksburg, Texas. And that was, that was a hunt unlike any hunt I've ever done because that those animals, they're smart. And I was up against a whole herd of them and I've, I've ended up throwing my spear, but they were just out of my range because, and Tim taught me some stuff on my podcast with him about the noise that your clothes make. And it wasn't something that I really even thought of, but by the time that my spear got to where I was throwing it, that orcs was gone. And now when you're spear hunting, are you, are you throwing it or just dropping it on them? So, well, I thought I could throw it and okay. be successful and you can be to an extent, but tree stand hunting and things like that, you need to be more of a drop. And, uh, I was trying to throw out of a tree stand and I've done that, but this year coming, we're going to, we're going to try again. And, uh, Ibex is actually something that I want to try out in West Texas. And yeah, I'm, I'm actually really jealous of the Oryx. I, you ended up shooting him, right? I think yeah, that's what it, yeah. yeah. I chased Oryx in Africa hard. And I will tell you, that's the best eating meat I've ever had. Personally, I loved it. It's right up there with Axis deer for me. Yeah. But I'm really jealous of that because I got they're fast, like they're smart, but they are fast. And uh, they eluded us every turn. And that was one thing that I was really looking forward to was that Oryx. Yeah. The 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 different variety of venison that's available. I mean, like whitetail's good. But so many other species, I don't want to say are better. They just have a different distinct taste. And some of those are, are better, I guess you could say. But yeah, Oryx is an eland. April killed an eland this year with her bow. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, that is so good too. But elk, yeah. eland, Oryx, Axis, black buck. I mean. Oh, I'm. we could have a whole show just on talking about the food. Yeah. Um, Cause that's also something I do with women of the wild is um, making sure these girls can try something before they hunt it. Yeah. So like that fly fishing event, we, we had the goose hunt previous. So I made sure they all got to try goose and I actually brought duck breasts and cooked up duck and venison. I made uh, venison and duck stuffed peppers with a steak and um, cooked them up a goose stew and, the food, the culinary aspect of all of it, and like even over in Africa, the the culinary as- aspect of trying like everything that you harvest and anything other people have harvested within like the week prior to you being there, like Cape Buffalo was like my dad's favorite. Cape yeah. Buffalo was fantastic. Um, but man, wild game when it comes to eating that, it's a lot of it is the preparation, right? So how you dismantle your animal yeah. and prep it. Um, a lot of it is how it's stored. A lot of people don't understand that it's also in the way that that animal, like, I don't know how to say that. Um, a lot of it is in how the animal is harvested. Yeah. So if you stress an animal out, they're not, they might get more of a gamey taste. They're going to be releasing things in their meat and people don't understand that. So, I mean, it's, it's just the right thing to do. It's like you walk up on an animal and, and you need to finish it off. You just do it. But to, to eliminate that suffering um, and then the way it's cooked. Yes. I mean, I can, I only eat wild game. So whenever somebody tells me that they've eaten something and they don't like it, I said, my rule is try it twice yeah. because you might not have liked the first time or maybe that first harvest 
you know, when you, when you try meat at a buddy's house, you could have had venison, but what if he didn't get his deer till the morning? Yeah. And it took, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. that meat could have spoiled. It could be in the way they age it, hang it, um, bleeding your meat out, like all that stuff. I could go on for days about culinary aspect of it, but the yeah. food aspect of any animal is one of my favorite pieces to all of this. All of this is being able to experience something so natural yeah. that was put here for us to consume. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's what these animals are here. They're made for us to consume. Having that experience to eat it and unfiltered and no byproducts, not from a grocery store, you put it there. That's it. That's, that's where it's at. I love it. I love it. I definitely appreciate you being on because this has been really fun and I'm definitely, I think we need to have you back in the future. And I think that we should do a meat eater style episode to where we talk about some of our favorite animals to eat, our cuts, how we, how we prepare them, how we cook them. If you're up for that, I'd love to have you back. Absolutely. I would love to talk about that. Good deal. Felicia, thanks for being on. These last two episodes have been amazing. I know our listeners have, they've learned a lot and you've had a lot of value to them. And uh, again, thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. It's, it's really great to be able to share that drive, that passion with other people to get them outdoors. Absolutely. Now, if our listeners uh, wanted to get a hold of you, You've got multiple uh, platforms that you're on, but Facebook and Instagram is probably the easiest for them to get a hold of you, correct? Yes. Uh, typically, Facebook Messenger uh, through either Felicia Marie or Women of the Wild, either one. You want to get outdoors? Let's go get you out there. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And to all of our listeners, thanks for your love and support. Keep hunting and keep doing what God calls you to do. Thank you for listening to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. If you'd like to follow, you can find Stephen on Instagram at Stephen Hunt Day and Facebook at Stephen Robbins HD. If you'd like to reach Stephen, you can email him at stephen.huntingday at gmail.com.